Welcome to the third or fourth most mediocre podcast about the third or fourth most mediocre football team in the Pac-12. It's the Husky Football Podcast. All we hear is purple. I'm Andrew Berg. And joining me tonight, she's headed up to here with this. Uh, it's Gaby Lucas. Gaby, we were just talking before we started recording about how neither of us really wanted to suffer through talking about this uh, game again. But here we are. How are you emotionally coping with that? Um, the, uh, yes. In fact, am. Well, let's How talk. Are you? Yes. I, mean, I, I think probably the thing that people are uh, genuflecting about at the moment is where we are as a program. But let's save mm-hmm. that for later. Let's talk a little bit about the Oregon State game. I know we don't want to wallow in it too deeply, but it was a really weird game. I, I, I think as I look back on this and as I remember it in the future, it will be one kind of a a data point in the downward slope that we've been experiencing for the last year, but two, just a strange, strange game. Uh, What was your reaction to it? Like, what was your experience watching this game and and take me through what you you will remember about it? Um, Yeah. Well, two things. One, I think the defining factor of this for me personally, it it isn't the game itself. It's leading up to the game. And um, this kind of leads into the whole like state of the program shenanigans, blah, 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 is that uh, I had such little enthusiasm that when I, I was at like a little thing with an, some family friends, it, when I say a thing, this wasn't like a super spreader. It was just for six people in a living room uh, doing a little uh, watching a little fundraiser video for an event thing on zoom for like community homes uh because one of our family friends is lives with them and they needed money so i was like usually you know when you have like a, a obligation during a game you'll like have a, find some way to like bro- broadcast it somewhere and i went into that and was like you know what bleep this fuck it <laughs> i'll just follow your guys's reactions on our slack channel because that's going to be as enjoyable regardless of whether we win or lose i was like this is gonna suck it'll either be a sucky loss like it was that's a three-point game like that or it'll be a win that should have been by 30 but was by three and so uh yeah i i i just followed along through your guys through like through the group chat of our writers and i realized that's probably not a very helpful answer or hopeful answer <laughs> from people. well i mean maybe yeah. that's the, the, it, an interesting intro so what i was saying it was super weird I mean, there were so many plays there were probably you know like any game there's going to be a play or two that just kind of goes off script and doesn't mm-hmm. look like anything you've seen before i feel like we got half a season's allotment of those plays in one game there was the the one that stood out the most was probably race porter uh recovering a bad snap dodging about six defenders and getting off a really good punt like really one of the better overall punts i've ever seen he's australian Uh, i don't care what people say yeah yeah, he's honorary australian dual citizenship Mm -hmm. there was a play 
uh, one of the towards the end of the first half where there was the, the ref ruled that no one had stepped out of bounds before he threw the ball, but he didn't. And then they took a pause to review whether they could review whether he stepped out of bounds before he threw the ball. And while they're doing that, they're discussing the fact that the receiver also ran out of bounds and stepped back in and probably committed a penalty. And all of this amounted to whatever, we're just not going to count it, <laughs> uh, kick the field goal instead. Uh, and the list goes on and on. I mean, the, the Cam Davis just run into the offensive line and fumble it play. Uh, we had almost had a fat guy touchdown. Uh, and then he fumbled on the end of that play, although that was from hitting the ground. It just went on and on. It was like, I don't know if there's anything to take away from the fact that nothing seemed to go according to plan, but that can't be like a good plan for the coaching staff, right? Like if everything is entropy, uh, <laughs> that's kind of the coach's jobs to make sure that things are in order, right? I mean, ideally that's what one would think. <laughs> I don't know. What do I know? I make less, I'll make less money on this pace. I'll make less money than John Donovan does in one year. It'll take me like, I think I did the math like three decades. Yeah. But I mean, he's doing such a difficult job and he's doing it so expertly. Um, I, I, one thing I think might be worth talking about from this game that actually was different from some of the previous games was I, I felt like this was kind of a low point for Dylan Morris. Tell me if you disagree, but it seemed like he's had poor games before. A lot of that could be excused by just garbage play calling or, uh, being under constant pressure, getting hit a lot, or missing a bunch of his key receivers. In this one, you know, we can talk about the the uh, play calling uh, again. Uh, you know, not inspiring, but he had all of his receivers except for Kate Otten. He was reasonably well protected. I think the offensive line was less terrible in this game than what we've seen in some others. What what is that? What do you think about that? Does it change your opinion of where he stands right now, or do you still just kind of say like we can't? judge anything while we continue to have this scheme in place again with the caveat that i've only seen a handful of the actual plays like on video because i've been so beat down and, and had further obligations um i i i would have to one would think i think i have to disclose that and be like i think you have to i've actually watched that game to have any authority on that subject um but uh i i i even even unless dylan in for in in my point of view unless dylan morris were to like so blatantly shit the bed where he's being put in a good position and is still screwing it up i think there's just so many variables at play that are clearly that we've identified as being putting you know putting the team in a bad place that I have I think from what we had like seen from him last year and all that um and when he you know when stuff doesn't look so bleak this year you know those couple times that's happened <laughs> um I I my gut is that sure maybe if maybe he didn't look great but given all the variables going against him like, are you going to put Sam Heward in there and expect him to look good? Like, certainly not. Um, so it, it, it's kind of moot in my mind. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I, I have heard people say they want Heward to play, but given where quarterback play is on the list of problems that the mm -hmm. offense has had, I think that would just be stunting yeah. Heward's development. Exactly, yeah. Uh, 
and and well, I, I think it is fair to say Coach B was on last week and he talked about uh, how he he one of the alarming things about Morris was that it seemed like either willfully or through coaching or just by accident, the team had kind of gotten away from his gunslinger, like play breaking down improvisational mm-hmm. abilities that looked quite good as a freshman last year. Yeah. And this year he's, it seems like when things go off script, he's either just throwing the ball away uh, or at, at, a, at a minimum, he's not moving around and making plays the same way he did last yeah. year. And, and, I, and that I, is a little oh, worrisome, I think. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. And I noticed that too. And in my, my gut though, is that that has to be a coaching thing, or if it's not a coaching thing, that it's, it's him reacting to the coaching around him and the variables around him, because that's when you have that ability and like what we saw last year of like that, I, I wouldn't go so far as to call it gunslinger, but kind of being able to just move around and when stuff breaks down kind of make something of it and be I don't want to say fearless but let's just go with that (laughs) you know like what we saw the second half of Utah for example Uh, that's instinct and if you if if you lose that you you don't lose that unless there's a whole bunch of other factors going into it like outside factors that that make you unlearn your instincts and so the things that would lead to that, you know, when you look at coaches and coaching and scheme and, you know, players around him that I'm like, okay, well then that's just more on the coaches. (laughs) Like, like if you've taken some guy who has instincts like that and, and we saw it enough where I don't think it was like one fluke or anything, you know, then, then you're taking what makes him good and just beating it out of him in favor of what, you know, um, that that would be what I would deduce anyway. Yeah, I, I also think it's worth talking about the the fact that Oregon State's offense didn't really pass the ball. I think that was schematically the the plan for UW was say you know we have these cornerbacks. You have a, a quarterback who isn't the most precise, kind of needs things to be just right to be mm-hmm. an effective passer. And, and they realized early on that wasn't going to work and they didn't need to do it. It was kind of like the Michigan game where they figured out they could run the ball well enough in a variety of different ways that they didn't really need to go to a passing game that wasn't uh, optimized. And, you know, Cal kind of went back and forth in that uh, and never really did commit all into the running game. It may have cost them the game the week before. So uh, we come away from that. How much of Oregon State dominating on the ground is – that this is actually a good offense and they block really well and they may not have the largest, uh, you know, recruiting profile or the most star star ratings compiled, but they're still a very talented and well-coached offensive line versus this is more concern about our defense. Like, do you think that regardless of how well-coached this Oregon state team is, we should be able to physically dominate their defense or you, their offense, rather. their yeah, offense. Yeah. Offense, yeah. I, I was definitely, um, apprehensive about BJ Baylor and the offensive line and co but again you know Washington has such a talent advantage over them that it shouldn't that it comes back to yeah like our our run defense is still even even with them being good at it it's still good at it from a baseline talent level that's below you know far below what what we have and so yeah they can be good and we can still be bad <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, why not both? Although, I mean, putting that all together, there was a time in this game, in the second half, where the game was tied, and it seemed like we actually had a pretty good chance to at least take the lead, if not win the game. Having said all of the just awful things that we've said about this game and this team so far, how, would you feel any differently if, say, you know, that fourth and inches play, um, we got the extra foot that Dylan Morris needed to convert and then gone down the field and kicked the winning field goal and the final score was 27-24 the other direction? Like, if the rest of the game, everything was identical, uh, what would you be feeling right now about the that game and the rest of the season? Um, not good. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I, I suppose I would have been feeling better than right now because wins are f- better. But um, I think there's, again, like the talent level, I, it is, is there, there's a discrepancy there that you can't ignore. And like, if you're winning close games against teams that you have such a resource advantage over, you're doing something wrong. Not that they won't ever happen, but they sh- that shouldn't be the baseline. And I think Christian Capel mentioned something. He said something about this in his like next day article at the athletic where it was at the podium afterwards, Jimmy said something about like, this league is something, something, a lot of parody. It's like the NFL, blah, blah, blah. And then Christian Cable in, in his article um, followed that up with, but this isn't the NFL. This is a league like every power five league that, has a lot of haves and a a lot of have-nots and in the Pac-12 resource-wise Washington is in the haves and so on a macro scale you should be beating the teams that you have a resource advantage over because that leads to a talent advantage and being able to you know and, and having the resources financially for what should be a better coaching staff and better facilities and 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 that sure occasionally you'll have to have a last minute field goal against a team that has outcoached that has you know overperformed their talent level but that shouldn't be your standard yeah i think that's fair i you know there's more than one way i I think another angle on it is i I say what i I, the way i phrase that question about how would you feel if we had narrowly won this game and if we're two and oh in conference going into a bye week and we've just you know opened up to really difficult games against pretty good, you know, decent teams within the conference, not Arizona, Colorado, Washington state, at least teams that are competitive and, and beaten them both. I probably would have found a way to talk myself into maybe we can, you know, keep yeah. showing improvement. Maybe we can win the PAC 12 North this year. And for as horrible as the start of the season was, that wouldn't be a total loss. You know, yeah. like we could still kind of talk ourselves into being on the right path. And that's kind of out the window. Um, even though I think all the things you said are true, that a 27-24 win, even when we're, we're, I think Oregon State ended up favored by two and a half points. So it, they won by three. It was like basically yeah. went exactly according to script. But that script took into consideration that the team had lost to Montana and got embarrassed by Mont- by Michigan and, you know, looked pretty bad for long stretches against Cal. So you, you, there's not that, that script already takes into consideration all of the uh, decline that you were referring yeah. to and all of the negative uh, regression that got us to not being a dominant force over Oregon state, even though, you know, Oregon state's at on the upswing and they deserve credit. Like they're, yeah. they oh, put totally. together a, a good team 
and and I, I it's hard I don't hate that school at all I, I think it's kind of fun I I did a, a spot on the radio with, oh, yeah. with Klamath Falls a couple of weeks ago and I said like I about that they asked something about like uh how much of a rivalry do you feel with Jonathan Smith and I was like rivalry it's like yeah. I, I'm happy for them I want, I want them to do well and yeah like you guys hate Oregon too that makes us friends yeah uh, so. I, that's how I feel uh, it's, it's, you know, mostly good things. And I hope they win the Pac-12 North if we're going to continue to, you know, yeah. wallow in our, in the If it muck. can't be us, it should be them. Yeah, right. So, yeah, I, but I think we'll talk more about the, like, the, the big picture stuff uh, after we take a little break. But I, that's kind of where I came away from it, too. Like, I probably would have because we have a rest of the season to go and I have tickets to these games and I will watch mm-hmm. them on TV. I, I, I try to look at it in the most favorable light and say, maybe we can salvage something from it, but you're right that this shouldn't be a salvaging situation. Yeah. And for, for what it's worth, like, like there, again, we have all the, we have all the players that we need to like, if you have schematics there and coaching there, like that, it, it you bring the right guy in tomorrow and <laughs> obviously this is a hypothetical because like you need time to install and whatever but like if you have the right offense there and you're running defense well and you're coaching guys well like it shouldn't be an issue so you know if theoretically um many members of this coaching staff were to uh politely pull their heads out of somewhere and become is a little bit smarter than or like better at doing what needs to be done then like there's no reason why the players we have shouldn't be able to do whatever needs to be done on the field but that you know everything comes down to the coaching staff so yeah well let's let's pause there that that will segue nicely into our you know what do we do about this conversation uh but we'll take a little break and stick with us and we'll be right back to talk state of the program going into the bye week Welcome back. Let's jump right into it. We hinted at it before uh, we took our little break, but let's talk about where we are now that we've got a bye week coming up. We're, we're at two and three. Uh, I think all three losses have been brutal in their own way. One of the two wins was kind of brutal in its own way. There's one out of these five games that we can really feel good about. You mentioned that the seems like the coaching staff has has kind of collectively put us in this position. I think part of that is we've seen this really stark juxtaposition of an exceptional coaching staff with Chris Peterson and not perfect. Like he had his flaws as any coach does, but really one of the best in the country versus I don't know how, where Jimmy Lake grades out, but I would guess so far, if you hold him responsible for making his coordinator hires somewhere below average, and that's a pretty stark drop-off. That's the same level of drop-off as going from, an average coach to the worst coach in the country. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if you're just doing it by, by rankings. So where does that, what, what do you, do you think, I guess one way to kind of get into this is what do you want to happen for the rest of this season? And then more broadly, do you trust Jimmy like to be the head coach of this team for the next, you know, one to five years? Yeah. I mean, I really don't, I don't know what my answer is because Jimmy, like as it is now, I don't have a lot of confidence in personally, but then when you, there's two things that go into my, the reason why I'm not running around with a pitchfork chanting fire, everybody right this moment. 
it, which I know a lot of people are, and like, I don't really blame you for it, but is, is that we've, and I, I said this in, I don't know if it was last week or the week or not last week. So I wasn't here last week, but the week before is that we've seen him fail at something, go off, get his own experience elsewhere, come back to that literal exact same job and kick ass at it. And I just know that if we fire him here, he's going to, you know, he's going to get a DC job somewhere else. And then that will lead to a head coaching job somewhere else. And maybe he's not great at it again, but like the idea of us firing him and then him going and being really successful elsewhere is like so soul crushing. And granted, I know you shouldn't make your decisions for your most important revenue sport off of like total hypotheticals but then you also this has been up until you know when we got chris peterson not even even before then like since firing tyron willingham the point of going there's been it was like a what a a 12-year process of going from 0 and 12 to you know where chris peterson brought uw to and it it's it's hard to think of things being you know having that I don't want to say rebuild because that feels so pro sports but the thought of going away from that from everything that Chris Peterson built like when you if you if you fire Jimmy like then pretty but that's an end to that continuity which is fine by itself like obviously I don't want to be like USC who's like we have to hire a USC guy and then they do that every time since Pete Carroll left and every time it sucks because that's stupid and nepotistic and just dumb but it it, is I think there is like there's a mental block and certainly for me and I think a lot of people that just knowing you have to pretty much start from scratch again but then you know if you keep him on and he doesn't improve and then you're just going to have to start from scratch later, you know? So I don't, for me, like, I don't have that much confidence right now. And I just wrote a whole thing about it um, that some people seem to like on our site. Um, but I, I, I really don't have an answer. <laughs> like I, I know people, people often have, people have opinions in sports and I do too, but I really very rarely including right now I, I I can't say I know what the right decision is yeah I know that's a very unsatisfying answer I think it's the right answer I mean nobody knows yeah. I, I, even of teams that make coaching changes some small fraction of them is it a really obvious answer most of the time there's some doubt about it you know if Tyrone Willingham made it a very easy decision but a year before that when they probably should have fired him, it was not an easy decision. And, and they ended up, you know, there's obviously enough support to keep him around for that extra year. So, uh, it, you know, it's not an easy choice. I think the thing that I keep coming back to that worries me is how little willingness to admit failure like has shown so yeah, far. When things go thing wrong, it, it's one thing to say like, okay, my defensive shell hasn't been able to get off the field against power run teams we need to tweak that or to say okay this downhill run game doesn't suit our personnel and the person calling the plays doesn't have the 
creativity or in-game adaptability to make it challenging for defenses to react to it and, and, and fix those things. Like, yes, he's responsible for putting that team on the field in the first place, and he has to own that. But it's worse if he doesn't fix it. And, yeah. and so far, he hasn't really shown a proclivity to fix it. Like, I guess they, they used a third down lineman more often against Oregon State, but not for the whole game and not enough to keep, uh, you know, the, the opponent's rush total under 250 yards or whatever it was. And the offense has shown, like, zero self-awareness, zero signs of improvement, and zero willingness to try other stuff, which is just baffling to me. And it does make me worry that, you know, like I, I, I said in our group chat that the one thing that he could do like right now that would actually impact my thinking is if they just fired John Donovan during the bye week. And, and that may not even be fair. Like maybe there are other constraints on Donovan. We don't know. We're, we're not in the booth or in the coaches meetings to say, you know, maybe Lake is exerting pressure on him to call the games a certain way. I think I've seen enough that I'm pretty convinced that this is Donovan owns the you know, pulling back into a turtle shell every time he's under pressure mm-hmm. and calling the same, oh my God, that last drive, seven straight plays. It was all, there were two two plays. They ran that play seven. One of those two plays, seven snaps in a row and then turned the ball over with the, you know, the, the possibility of the season on the line. Let's just call two plays seven times in a row and, and not even pretend that we might throw the ball at some point. Yeah. But if they did fire Donovan, it would at least signal to me, we know there's a problem and we're going to do something about it. You said earlier the thing about how Lake said, like in the NFL, a lot of the games are close. Like, so you don't think this is a problem? Like you think this is how it's supposed to be going? Like you think like all these disorganized plays and and things that armchair quarterbacks could scheme around is the way it's supposed to go? Like it's supposed to be harder than this. Yeah. You know, like, like acknowledge what you don't know. And then we can grow off of that. But if you think that what you're doing is right, even though it's failing, you're never going to show any improvement. And that does worry me long-term. I, I, I don't think you can do anything in season anyway. It would be kind of ridiculous uh, from a head coaching standpoint. But if, the, if he just kind of digs in and stubbornly sticks to this, like the point about continuity wouldn't matter to me because yeah. that's not continuity like Chris Peterson was not rigid he was very adaptable he yeah. had tenants and beliefs about how things are structured but when something wasn't working he changed it and moving on from that would be a good thing like moving on from rigidity in the face of pressure mm-hmm. is is kind of a necessity yeah no I totally I de- totally agree with you with that and I think everything you said is true and I definitely think you know if if by the end of the season it is, it is completely more of this and more of like there being zero adaptation over the course of 12 games or however many. Uh, yeah, I guess it's 12. We're not um, playing more than 12. <laughs> yeah. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then, then I definitely at a certain point, it's like, okay, you have to kind of cut your losses and, but yeah, yeah, that, that I completely know what you mean. And then, but there is also in the back of my mind, it's like, I, I don't know how much of what he's saying to reporters is things that he truly believes or if it's stuff just, you know, because if, if other coaches and players within the program, like see him talking, like, honestly, like if that to them signals panic time, even though it shouldn't, because you should be able to have these dialogues like with between your coaches and your players and all that. So 
and I think you're, you're right. And I agree that, you know, there's been stuff that he said back to the Oregon state game last year of like, how good was that? And everyone's like, excuse me, what? Terrible, <laughs> terrible. That was not good. No. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but yeah, I definitely, definitely feel all of that. Feel free to vent. Yeah. You know, I think one of one other thing that has crossed my mind is just how he is the one person who's responsible for the team. And it seems like there are problems everywhere. Like we talked earlier about the quarterback position and how we have not seemingly developed Morris in the way that would play to his strengths. Um, at running back, McGrew didn't play for the first two weeks or pleasant. And he's been our best offensive player when he's played. And that's usually not a good strategy, benching your best offensive player. Usually. And yeah. kind of sticking with Cam Davis, who, you know, we heard had these phenomenal practices all fall and then has been a catastrophe when he's played and he's young, like he has time to develop. I don't want to pretend that Cam Davis is a worthless player or anything, but he is, if, if what they saw in fall camp put this player on the field, that's a mistake. The offensive line as coach B outlined pretty eloquently for us last week is full of players who they recruited to be athletic pulling, uh, running around the field, like adaptable athletic offensive linemen who are doing none of those things in the offensive blocking Mm -hmm. scheme that we're using at all. So we're completely playing away from their strengths. Our our receivers, I I actually kind of give a pass to the receivers because when they've been healthy, I think every one of the receivers who has played regularly, other than maybe Giles Jackson, who's brand new to the program and and kind of has had to play outside of his preferred role, receivers have generally looked pretty good. Yeah. And then defensively, I don't think we're getting what we want out of our defensive line. They're higher, better recruits than players we've got in the past and producing worse. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the concerns about the linebacking core are go back for three years and you know we're kind of still doing the same stuff and cornerbacks are exceptional we haven't really seen the development from the safeties nobody's really asserted themselves as the starters even though there are a whole bunch of talented players there we're kind of stuck with like well I guess Alex Cook has been here for a while and he's fine Uh, like it's it's everywhere the recruiting has you know I I hate to uh, focus on something that's kind of hard to peg and there's a lot going on behind the scenes and we only see the output of it but the output isn't as good as it was the last couple of years either. And you put all those things together and it kind of has to wind up at the coach's doorstep. And unless he's like sincerely willing to do something to fix those things, I'd have a lot of heartburn about like staying on beyond this year. It would like actually dampen my enthusiasm about the whole program to have somebody who's just not willing to admit his own failures. Oh, definitely. I feel that a hundred percent. I even just, just five games into 2021 and I have, I know I've mentioned this over like text to, to you in the group that like five games into 2021 has dampened my give a shit per 60 to like the last time I was this meh about anything was like 2013. <laughs> and, and I, and I had just moved to Vancouver and was like, you know, you, uh, not old, old a young person <laughs> who, you know, naturally wouldn't give a shit. And, and yeah, and, and that's kind of so, something that I talked about in this week's um, stuff and shenanigans, uh, which is a dumb name that I picked five years ago because I had to come up with a name for my column and it was a Doctor Who reference. Uh, but it was that like with the way that college football power keeps getting consolidated in the Southeast, every 
third and seven you run becomes harder to climb back from if you're not in that in group like it, it it's harder it's kind of, it's kind of depressing to think of not kind of it is super depressing to think about because there is it's a, like a financial arms race where there's these states that are willing to put up absurd amounts of public money to hire and buy out coaches most of whom just end up being like butch goddamn jones who sucks uh, <laughs> or like will muscham and the and but because they are willing to just throw this amount of money and this amount of energy at it and bring in texas and oklahoma and, and if you're not in that in group you are a have not overall in college football, even if you're a even if you're a have in your conference, like even if you're a USC or Oregon or Washington. And this is kind of like we talked about this in the preseason, where this isn't me saying that I I don't want to leave wherever our established, like our conference, our region, whatever, just to be a part of that in-group, because that's the antithesis of what makes us give a shit about college football. But if you are out of that in-group, every mistake you make matters 10 times more, and it'll matter 100 times more 10 years from now unless something changes. And so it's harder than ever to climb out of a 6-6 six and six as a program or an 0-12. And, and so, so I completely understand the kind of the fear that you're talking about, and I feel that too of if the momentum that you'd have had going uh, with Chris Peterson, like if that completely comes to a halt, which it is coming to pretty quickly, that is a much harder job to take over than what Chris Peterson took over in 2014. Yeah. You want and to leave really some depressing. of the structure still there. Yeah. It's, it's really depressing because like that was with one of the greatest coaches of his generation at a time when it already was becoming more difficult to build up a program outside of the South um, or Ohio State. But it is so, so much, so far beyond that now for a variety of reasons, money being the main one, um, and frankly, social media and recruiting being the other. So you really, there's very little margin for error. And that's what frightens me because at a certain point, what why do we care if it's just going to be, yeah. you know, ESPN, Alabama and whoever, and everybody else is just kind of playing for scraps. Yeah. Which, I mean, everyone else already is kind of playing for scraps, but it doesn't have to be inevitable as long as you make smart hires and, and commit. So, yeah. Well, this is what FCS is for. Just follow that and yeah. have a much better time. All right. Let's stop talking about that and that try depressing. to come up with something uh, more uplifting to talk about our recommendations or plugs. Is anything uh, off the top of your head that you want to recommend to people? Uh, yes. Um, I think I mentioned two weeks ago, um, Ballard Comedy Club at Hales Ales, um, which usually when there's a comedy club, it is just a comedy club. Um, but except for in England, they combine their efforts like we're doing here. We, I'm not really a part of it. Uh, my main dude, Robert Pitty, who was the general manager at the underground has teamed up with Hale Zales to pretty much have a whole ass comedy club in their upstairs palladium or however you say it. And they have their weekend headliners, headliner shows are Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, they also have just like local showcases 
on Mondays. I was there last night, actually, and did the second show I'd done in almost two years, which it feels insane. So I should finish that thought. A, it rules. I think I, I mentioned it like two or three weeks ago, uh, but I had never been there. I mean, I've been to Hale's Hales, but not like, you know, since. And it's a really great room. It's run well. There's funny people. Um, I recommend it. Um, and then also I will be at, you know, on Monday um, at Skull Beer Hall, also in Ballard. Obviously, who would have guessed with a name like that? With who else is going to be there? It's a monthly show. It's cool. It's run by Travis Nelson, who's very funny and great. Uh, me, Stephanie Nam, Chase Myers, and Jake Silberman. So that'll be my my third. It feels so weird going 19 months without doing stand up and then being like, "All right, I guess guess I better hop into that again." <laughs> uh, but yeah, it turns out it's not too hard. <laughs> it seems like it would be difficult it, anyway it's bizarre it feels very bizarre doing it like going up again you're like oh you used to do this six nights a week <laughs> now i do it once and i'm like that's good for me yeah. for a week it's yeah. so tiring take a couple months off it's a lot of energy to go out yeah get out but, of the house yeah. oh I, and i, I laugh about it as i drink as well. my tea yeah tea is great yeah staying in and watching tv is great yeah yeah, Love it. so lucked out with this whole pandemic situation. Yeah. Um, speaking of staying in and watching TV, we, we watched uh, the Sopranos movie in many states of New York the other mm-hmm. night. I really liked it. I, I think I was, I, I read some reviews of it. They're very mixed. Some people were very hard on it. And I, I think after reflecting on it, I was in the right frame of mind vis-a-vis the original series, The Sopranos. Because uh, the people who were, really obsessed with it and have watched the whole show like six times and are, are have been re-watching it lately like it may have been like not enough they're still just leaving things very opaque and not really trying to dive into answering some of the deep questions about the series and the people who never saw it or didn't care about the show it wouldn't make any sense at all it would not stand alone very well as a movie but as somebody who i, I think i've watched the series through like one and a half times and haven't watched any of it in the last five years so just revisiting it, it kind of felt like, you know, watching an old movie or something. You're like, hey, I remember that guy. <laughs> uh, and, and it was enough playing into the structure uh, or the themes of the show. This kind of like, oh, Tony talking to his, you know, high school principal is just like when he goes to the therapist in the, in the TV show. It's mm-hmm. perfect. Ah, that's funny. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was like watching back-to-back episodes of The Sopranos, some pretty good ones. So uh, I have no complaints about it. And if, you know, if you watched The Sopranos and maybe weren't like an obsessive rewatch the show six times fan, I, maybe that's the sweet spot and, and you'll yeah. enjoy it as well. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like I've noticed that for me, when it, whether it's TV shows or movies, like whether or not I enjoy it, 90% is unrelated to if it's good or not. It's just if I'm in the right mindset. Yeah, so it's very true. I feel that very much. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, there's so many different ways for it to hit you. Like I was reading one review, I think it was in the LA Times or something, that was just destroying the movie. And I was like, did we watch the same thing? And they were like mad that it it's a prequel and it's not about the main characters. It's about like the generation that came before the main characters of the show. So anyway, uh, it's kind of just laying the groundwork rather than trying to spell everything out perfectly. And I thought it worked. So 
it's two hours. It won't kill you if you want to watch something enjoyable. Although I'm very excited. Have you heard about Squid Game? This I, Korean show? Yeah, I'm, so I'm I excited hadn't, to start this. I hadn't heard of it until 48 hours ago. I like it, it never, it wasn't a thing in my brain. I had never heard of Squid Game even in passing. And then uh, I heard of it that morning. So Sunday morning. And then the next 48 hours, everything online, everything on the internet has just been about Squid Game. I don't think I've ever seen anything go from outside mm-hmm. of my consciousness to completely uh, inundated with it that quick. It, and that is my most, um, I think the most interesting thing about Squid Game is the fact that I'm like, oh my God, you didn't exist. And now you really exist. <laughs> <laughs> it's having a Tiger King moment. Yeah. It's like. It's perfect. Like if you are going to release something like this, I haven't seen it yet. So I don't even know if, if it would fit, but doing it in October when everybody can wear Halloween costumes mm-hmm. that go with it is a good time. Like that's yeah. a good time to kind of jump into the zeitgeist. Yeah. I don't think I will watch it. Cause I don't think I have the like mental and emotional bandwidth to be like, Ooh, I would like more bleakness in my life. <laughs> I, my problem is we've been in such a habit of like, catching up on email and work stuff when we're watching tv at night after we put our daughter to bed Mm -hmm. uh that i don't know when we're going to carve out time to watch something with subtitles which is embarrassing (laughs) but i intend to do it at some point what a lazy american yeah yeah no i'm reading too many things it's not that i don't want to read too many things all right that's enough i i'm sufficiently cheered up from our depression earlier Uh, but i think the only way that we can make this better is if next week we get uh our next offensive coordinator, Cody Pickett, Cody Pickett? Uh, on the line, I think is the right thing to do. We and should hey, probably do that. There's not a game to talk about this weekend, so we should probably work on that. And, you know, now I, I'll take this as having worked on it since yeah. we mentioned it in our end of the episode. Yeah. But thanks for listening, everybody, and go dogs. Go dogs. Tune in for Cody Pickett. <laughs>